Well, on the TV show Curb Your Enthusiasm, as you saw, celebrity comedian Larry David makes a large donation to an environmental group to build a new research wing. Uh, at the grand opening of the new facility, he discovered somebody else has made an anonymous donation to build a wing opposite his wing, uh, but he's not really anonymous. Everybody knows who it is. It's actually actor Ted Danson, who was in attendance at the grand opening. And at that short ceremony held later in the episode, Larry's offered a polite round of applause for his very generous donation. But the anonymous donor, who everybody knows as Ted Danson, <laughs> is given an ovation for his humble, anonymous sacrifice. Now the air quotes work, anonymous. It's hard to give in a way that expects nothing in return, including the attention you might receive. It's hard to give with truly humble motives. How many of us know the feeling of doing something nice and wanting the credit, but feeling bad about wanting the credit? This is actually something Jesus speaks to in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been uh, talking about the Sermon on the Mount here at Rooftop in our series uh, called Religion Redefined. And if you're just joining us, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, it's Jesus' big manifesto um, in which he lays out God's radical demands for his people. Now, Matthew, who records this sermon, he actually breaks it up into parts. And we've covered so far the first two parts of the sermon. We've covered the Beatitudes, and we've covered Jesus' redefinition of the law. And this morning, we're jumping into part three. And in this portion of the sermon, Jesus talks about the importance and the difficulty and the opportunity of being an anonymous donor. So let me go ahead and read you the passage after which we'll talk about it. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues, on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward already in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, before we go too far in this passage, let me go ahead and, and step back a little bit and describe how this new section in the sermon fits into the overall flow of the sermon. Uh, let's remember, first of all, what Jesus' primary concern is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' primary concern in the Sermon on the Mount is righteousness. Righteousness is it's the moral and the spiritual quality of our lives. God's great desire for every single one of us is that we become righteous, filled to the core with his purity and love. The problem for Jesus' audience was that righteousness had been mangled by the Jewish leaders of the day, the Pharisees. Uh, they, had, they were teaching a, a bastardized form of, of righteousness that wasn't really righteous. It was skin-deep religiosity. It was moral hypocrisy. And this is what Jesus is trying to correct in the sermon. He's trying to correct, redefine what righteousness really is. Uh, early on, for example, he explains this goal for his listeners. He says in chapter 5, 20, Truly I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is redefining what righteousness is in a way that will help them live forever because if you get righteousness wrong, you won't. 
Now, in the section of the sermon that we just finished, Jesus is focused on righteousness with respect to something we'll call ethics. So ethics is how we treat each other. But in this next section of the sermon, Jesus approaches righteousness from a slightly different angle. He doesn't talk about righteousness necessarily with respect to ethics. He talks about righteousness with respect to something that we're going to call piety. Now, if ethics is how we treat each other, piety is how we, loosely, how we treat God. And just like we should treat each other righteously, we should treat God righteously. But here's the thing, just like the Pharisees had mangled ethics, they had also mangled piety. Now, how had the Pharisees mangled piety? Well, we get a glimpse of that in this passage as Jesus kicks it off in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness, your piety, in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So what looks to be happening here is that the Pharisees were worshiping God in public ways that demanded attention for their piety. They were giving large sums of money to environmental groups and insisting that their name be on the wall or that their name be listed as anonymous, but that they tell everybody about it. Their piety was filled with pride. And in so doing, Jesus says they were losing their reward. That seems to be Jesus' overall concern in this section of the sermon. He's challenging his followers not to practice piety in a proud and self-congratulatory way, but in a humble way. What Jesus, is, what Jesus is advocating is something we might call secret spirituality. Secret spirituality. Now, secret spirituality is not when you hide your light under a bushel. No! <laughs> not supposed to do that, right? Not supposed to hide your light under a bushel. No, that's not what we're talking about, though. Secret spirituality is when you worship God and you perform your acts of piety, not for the glory of it, but for the good of it. It's good to practice piety, but it's bad to do it in an attention-seeking way. And Jesus knows us. Jesus was one of us. And Jesus understands that that will always be a temptation, a, a, a temptation for us to practice our piety in public ways and sort of miss out on the benefits. And sometimes the best thing, according to Jesus, sometimes the best thing you can do is to practice your piety in absolute secrecy. This is true with respect to all kinds of pious acts. And here in this section of the sermon, Jesus describes three. Giving, praying, and fasting. These are the three primary religious deeds that Jews practiced. Uh, aside from going to temple, if you were a good Jew back in the first century, you gave, you prayed, you fasted. The three things Jesus talks about in this section. But there are right ways to do these things, and there are wrong ways to do these things. So let's jump into Jesus' first example of giving. And then we'll talk about the other two, praying and fasting, in subsequent weeks. So as he says in verse 2, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, already we have a lot to talk about. When you give to the needy, the Greek phrase that Matthew uses here for give to the needy is poies elemasune which means literally to give alms. Uh, maybe you've heard the word alms. Alms, alms for the poor. Uh, the word alm 
It's actually a, a version of the word mercy. So an alm is an act of mercy for someone in need. Mercy is generosity towards someone who doesn't necessarily deserve it, but needs it. And being merciful to the poor was an expected part of being a Jew. I mean, notice what Jesus says here. He says, when you give to the needy, what does he not say? If you give to the needy. Jesus assumes that the people of God were giving to the poor. If you're not actually giving to the poor, probably the wrong sermon for you here this morning. Jesus assumes that the people of God were giving to the poor. The Hebrew Bible was very clear about a Jew's obligation here. As Moses wrote way back in Deuteronomy, as he said, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns that the landlord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted, do not be tight-fisted toward them, rather be open-handed, freely lend to them whatever they need. So if anyone among you is poor, help them out, show them mercy. They might not deserve it, but give it to them. And and the Jews could do this in all kinds of ways. The Old Testament listed all kinds of ways that they could give to the poor. Uh, For example, every Jew was required to tie the tenth of their harvest. Every third year, an entire tenth of their harvest was to go directly to the poor. Uh, Jewish farmers were actually not allowed to harvest the corners and the edges of their field. Did you know this? It's called the law of gleaning so that the poor could come eat from it. How about this one? Every seventh year, a Jewish farmer was not actually allowed to farm uh, the land. Every seventh year, couldn't even touch the land so that the poor could come and farm it that year. So that's like every seventh year, like you and I don't go into work at all so that the poor can have our jobs. Sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) Sign me up for that social service program. These were the laws. But the laws weren't just about meeting the needs of the poor. They went deeper. These laws weren't just about about meeting needs. They were about worshiping God for his mercy. You see, the reason they needed to be merciful, the reason they needed to give alms, is because God had given alms to them. God, I mean, what had God done? God had forgiven them their sins. God had given them the land. God had protected them from their enemies. God showed his mercy so that they would know what it meant to be merciful. As Paul writes to the Corinthians in the New Testament, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So, you know, this is something we actively try to model and promote here at Rooftop. Uh, 12% of everything you give here at Rooftop goes to our missions and service ministries. Uh, The food pantry, immigrant support, foster care, our Mexico mission. We also have a benevolence fund here at Rooftop that Rooftoppers can use if they find themselves in need. Uh, Kevin Harmon is our new deacon in charge of the Benevolence Fund. Now, just so you know, there's an application process and we require a meeting with someone on the team. But we, we do this because we know, we believe what Jesus says, it's expected. God expects his people to contribute to the needs of others. When you give to the needy. Not if, when. Then he goes on. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, to be honored by others. 
So after mentioning the act, uh, Jesus then describes how not to do it, right? When you give to the needy, don't make a big deal. Don't get out your trumpet, your saxophone, your saxophone, your, your actual phone, you know, make a Twitter post on it or something. It's like that, your actual phone. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't get out your phone. Uh, now, this actually seems like an, exa- an exaggeration. Were they actually getting out their trumpets back then when they made generous gifts? Like, they come to the offering with their trumpet. It, it, it sounds like, like an exaggeration, but it might not have been. As far as we know, in, back in Jesus' day, people actually practiced giving very publicly. They collected offerings quite publicly so that everybody could, could kind of hold each other accountable for that. Maybe you know the story of the poor widow in the Gospel of Luke. You know this story? Uh, there's a, a poor widow who comes in and puts in two copper coins into the, the offering, the blue offering box in the back. And, and Jesus commends her for her sacrifice. She, he says she gave out of her poverty compared to everybody else who gave out of their, their wealth. <clears throat> now, question, how did Jesus know what she was giving? They like use his Messiah vision? Two, two copper coins. So I, I did that. There's a good chance everybody knew what she had given. The Pharisees had actually turned giving into a performance. Uh, you would line up at the temple, you would approach the offering box, you would show your offering to the temple leaders to get the credit. They were very legalistic back then, and they needed to know what you were giving. Kind of like how we want the church treasurer to know how much we were giving so we get the write-off. But this is much more public. This is different. You did it in front of everybody. Maybe in front of everybody you even like stood and waved your check to the crowd. Look at all those zeros. Maybe you brought your big check, trying to get it in the box. <laughs> and Jesus says, don't do that. Don't be like the Pharisees. In fact, don't be like the, what does he call them? Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the hypocrites. That's what he says. Don't be like the hypocrites. Uh, you might find this interesting. And if not, I really find it interesting so you get to hear about it. The word for hypocrites in Greek is hypocritai, and the word actually means actor, one who wears masks. Back then, that's how actors played roles, they wore masks. And if they needed to change a role, they changed their masks. Uh, now I am angry, now I am happy, now I am a god, now I am a woman. So there weren't any women on stage, so men played women with masks. Now, there's nothing necessarily negative about being an actor with masks, but as far as we know, Jesus, as far as we know, Jesus is the first one in history to use this phrase, hypocrite, actor, mask wear, to refer to religious leaders. Why? Well, he sees them acting. He sees them wearing masks. He sees them looking one way, being another. They look pious, they look generous, but behind the mask, they just aren't that. As he says elsewhere, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. And all uncleanness. Jesus had a way with words, man. You're full of dead men's bones. 
That's what Jesus is saying. He's calling them actors for wanting to look generous. We all know what this is like, though. We all know people maybe who look like Christians, but, you know, you get inside a little bit, you peel behind the layer, like, oh, not a follower of Jesus at all. We all know people who, you know, aren't very generous, but they kind of pretend to look generous. Uh, I'm thinking, for example, big corporations who make a big to-do about their donations to worthy causes. Uh, most large corporations have a philanthropy department in charge of donations, and sure, you know, they might be sincere about it, but, I mean, let's be honest, looking generous is good for business. People want to buy from generous companies, so the companies need to make sure they get the publicity for it, even though their stockholders would probably just prefer to have the money, but they'll call a big news conference so everybody knows how generous their company is. But before we get all judgy, we do this, too, in lots of ways. We want the credit for being nice, the credit for being generous, without actually being those things. Uh, for example, a few months ago, I did something uh, nice for somebody. There was this one time that that happened. <laughs> that came out quite limited. <laughs> yeah, this one time, I did something really nice for someone, and it was a, it was a sacrifice. Uh, but But here's the thing. Nobody knew about it. And I could tell, like, over the next couple weeks, it bothered me that nobody knew about it. So I found a way to casually mention it in a conversation, which I totally didn't need to do, but I knew exactly what I was doing. Or, or, or another example. Uh, when I come in to work on my day off on Monday, I try not to, but sometimes, you know, you just, you just have to. And I get frustrated. I get frustrated because nobody's here to see me, and I don't get the credit <laughs> because nobody's here. And it's, it's for, like nobody's here on days when I, well, I don't get the credit when nobody's here, you know, for being on my day off. And I don't get credit when everybody's here because everybody's here and we're not giving credit. So you don't get credit for working at all. <laughs> so just stay home. That's. <laughs> so anyway, I don't get the credit for coming on my day off. So I'll find a way to like mention it, like maybe use it as a sermon illustration on Sunday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> or, or mention it like at a staff meeting Tuesday. Yeah, I was here yesterday. I had to get some things done. It's all right. No problem, right? But, I'm not, you know, insisting that my name get emblazoned up on a wall. This wing brought to you by Matt Herndon, who occasionally works on his day off. God bless him. <laughs> confession. That's a confession. I'm a hypocrite. Uh, I'm pretending to be generous and humble when on the inside, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sel selfish for attention. A little too much of my heart is motivated by the desire to appear righteous to, to, to you, to you. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. You do something nice, you talk about it just a little too much. You're just a little too concerned about whether or not people know how nice and generous you are. You, you know, here's what's happening. You know who you really are the, in the inside. You're full of dead men's bones. So you work just a little too hard to polish the outside. Jesus sees through your acting. Nobody's that good. So what does Jesus say to us? Well, he says to us what he says about the hypocrites. He says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, if what we are really hoping to get from our act of generosity is the admiration of others, then that is all we'll get, nothing more. We won't get the spiritual blessing. We won't get the heavenly reward. We will get our donation st statement, our donation statement at the end of the year, which compared to what we're losing out on, you know, eternal life is a bit tragic. Yeah, sure, I got, I, got my, I got my donation statement. But I like 
you know, missed out on a chance to live forever, so darn it. <laughs> Which raises the question, how then should we give? If we shouldn't give alms in ways that draw attention to our generosity, how should we? Jesus continues. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. I love this image. I always have. You do too. Jesus has a way with images, right? Instead of blowing trumpets when we perform any act of mercy or making a Twitter post, we should serve so quietly, we should give so secretly that not even the different parts of our body know what other parts of our body are doing so that our left hand doesn't even know that our right hand is giving. I mean, imagine the secrecy required in that. Uh, can't lift my left hand. No, I got you. How do, you, how do we do this? Okay. Hmm. I'll get this. Look, a bird. Where? Boom. Oh, I don't know. Not there. Oh, well. See you next time. Do you think Jesus used the hands in the Sermon on the Mount? Absolutely, he did. Along these lines, uh, this week I found a, an online giving platform called Silent Donor. It's a way to give away your money online without the receiving organization even knowing who you are. People have apparently made massive contributions on this website all anonymously. Someone just recently donated $126 million to the University of Miami on Silent Donor. Nobody has any idea who it is. Now, why would they do this? Well, as much as I'd like to think that the website is motivated by the teachings of Christ, it's much more practical. It's a way for people to donate without having to be harassed for more money. Is this what Jesus is thinking? Is Jesus telling us to give secretly so we can avoid marketing materials? No. What's his concern then? Well, that brings us to the last verse. As he says in verse 4, Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. If you give in a quiet, humble way, God's got your back. This is a really interesting verse, isn't it? Jesus promises a reward for those who give alms quietly, but is that the best motivation to give a reward? I mean, isn't the, the purest motivation to give to the poor because the poor need it? Wouldn't that be the purest motivation? Well, yeah, but I think Jesus is acknowledging our humanity here. He knows we are motivated by rewards, and that's okay. I mean, even Jesus lived for the reward. He lived a life of holiness and courage for many reasons, but also so that he would be exalted over all the earth. We can give knowing that we will be rewarded, and the more we give, the more we serve, the more we are rewarded. God set it up like that so that there would be lots of giving. The question that Jesus wants us to think about, though, is what reward are we seeking? Are we, are we seeking to be approved, acclaimed by other people? If so, that's silly. Why is it silly? Because other people can change their opinion of you. Trust me, like that. And other people can't do for you the things that you really, truly need, like, you know, oh, forgive your sins. 
and give you true and lasting peace and including you in the family of God. Only God can do that, and God wants to. God wants to be generous. God wants to bless generous people. And when I say God wants to bless generous people, I don't mean that God wants to make you rich. Not one of those churches. If you're visiting us and you're wondering, hey, what kind of church is this? We're not the kind of church where God wants to make everyone rich. In fact, I think there's a a greater probability, a much greater probability that God wants to make you poor. Read the Gospels. A much greater probability that God wants to make you poor so that you might know what true wealth really is. God wants to bless you with peace and hope and life, true wealth. And those are the gifts that God gives us when we give generously, not for the attention. When we practice proud piety, we're admitting, even to God, that we need the approval of other people. But when we give secretly, so secretly that not even our left hand knows what our right hand is doing, we're trusting God, we're telling God that his opinion of us is the only one that matters, which is the case. Before we close, let me share a story with you uh, that illustrates what secret spirituality can look like. Uh, I heard it on the news last year, maybe you did too. Here's a story. When Professor of Physics Vinod Menon walked into his office at City College in uh, uh, Harlem, New York, one day, he found a normal-looking package on his desk. Uh, Dr. Menon had actually been teaching from home for over a year due to the pandemic, and the university mailroom was months behind on its deliveries. So this particular package was postmarked November 2020. It had actually been sitting in the mailroom unnoticed for nine months before it was taken to his office. When the professor opened up the package, he actually found $180,000 in $50 and $100 bills, along with an unsigned note. The money was apparently an anonymous donation to be used to help students pay City College's modest tuition. City College is a uh, small urban college that provides affordable education for immigrants and uh, the underprivileged. Now, the administration was thrilled at the gift, but they were perplexed. Like, who would do this, this way, and why? When most people make anonymous donations, they do not mail large boxes of cash through the post office. Administrators actually felt that they needed to try to track down the donor if only to make sure that the money wasn't illegally obtained. So the campus police tried to trace the bills and they found that the bills had been withdrawn from several banks over many locations over many years. So apparently this this criminal donor had a master plan. (laughs) And they traced the package through the particular post office that it came, but they could find no video footage of anybody specifically dropping it off, and the return name and the address in the package were complete fakes. The name on the package was Kyle Paisley, but after contacting all the Kyle Paisleys, uh, none of them had any connection to City College at all. After a months-long investigation, the university decided to accept the money and use it as requested. They formed a 10-year annual scholarship fund for two academically deserving physics students, as the donor had requested in his note. In the note, the donor did address the question of why he or she was doing this as they write. Assuming you're a bit curious as to why I'm doing this, the reason is straightforward. The excellent educational opportunity available to me at City College gave me the basis to continue to develop, first with an MA in physics and then a double PhD in physics and astronomy, 
leading to a long, immensely rewarding scientific career. So first of all, talk about not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I mean, this donor drew bills out of several banks over many years so the donation could be traced. That's a new level. They wanted no attention, no credit, no name on the scholarship, no name on the wall. Their left hand was completely in the dark. They just wanted to give. And why? Because they had been given so much. They received a great education at a great school from good people, and they wanted other people to have the opportunity. Question. How much more have we been given? How much more have we been given in Jesus Christ? It's not even a comparison. I mean, we're not talking about an education. We're talking about the gift of eternal life. We're talking about the forgiveness of sins. We're talking about being included in the hope and the promise and the family of God. These are not things we've earned. These are not things we deserve. These are things that God in his mercy just gave us. In our own poverty, he just gave them to us. Here you go. And what does he ask? Then we give it back. Quietly, humbly, secretly. Here's an image I want to leave you with. Uh, that anonymous donor uh, up at City College, he mailed a box filled with $180,000 and sent it with a fake return address. Just so, speaking of metaphors this morning, we all got a box. God gives us all a box to fill, to mail, anonymously. What are you gonna put in your box? You might not have $180,000. You've got more. You've got the gospel, you've got acts of service, you've got talents, you've got gifts. You've got a meal to make for a hungry family. What are you going to put in your box? What are you, Kyle Paisley, going to put in your box this morning? And who are you going to send it to?